0: is joel and you are listening to the anagram journey podcast normally with suzanne stabile but i've hijacked the show for this episode and taken it on the road up uh up by 75 to interview artist michelle b noah and take a tour of her exhibit currently at the eisman center in richardson texas by the numbers an anagram series michelle is an anagram seven married to a one that's right another seven one couple like myself and whitney And they have four children, all different Enneagram numbers. She walks me through her nine core number paintings, as well as the 18 wings painted in the series, and her interpretation of each personality as she painted. We also go off on a tangent or two, as a couple of sevens might, discussing the wings, phobic versus counterphobic sixes, uh, shame, anxiety, and fear, as she shows me her three triad paintings. Um, you can see the exhibit at the Eisman Center through January 24th, and you'll find pictures that I took of each painting on the podcast page, the AnagramJourney.org. So be sure to click on over there to hopefully get a good visual of the conversation and what we were looking at as we talked. And if you're in the market to uh, maybe purchase one of these bad boys, you can find them and more about Michelle at michellebnoah.com. And you can find her on Instagram at Current Artist Workshop. I can't let an intro go without saying you can also find a lot of great resources and upcoming events uh, from Suzanne and Joe and Life in the Trinity Ministry at lifeinthetrinityministry.com. And that includes the upcoming Grieving and Enneagram online teaching workshop with Suzanne February 26th and 27th. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation and thank y'all so much for listening and for your support. You painted the numbers first.
1: Yeah, let's start with the numbers and come back to the triads. So I painted a 36 by 36 of each of the nine Enneagrams. And I chose that because 36 by 36 is my most favorite size canvas to paint I feel the most confident painting that. And so that's where I started. Um, The Perfectionist, the number one, that was probably the last one I painted of the nine because Enneagram one, I'm thinking of a family member each time I paint the number of my relationship with them and how I feel about them and how they react to things. So I wanted the number one to be really perfect. So I started with... Um, It's called the rule of thirds in art. I divided into nine perfect squares, and I started there. I put the primary colors down the middle, the secondary colors on the edges, and then I kind of did what I do, my style of art. I kind of Michelle Noahed it to be what it is right there. And um, I love it. I think it turned out great. It's exactly how I feel. About how a number one should look. So, all
0: right, and you, so you're married to a one.
1: I'm married to Here's a one. one.
0: What did he say when he saw the finished product? He loved it. He gave it the stamp of approval. It,
1: yeah. He loved it. He thought it was good. He actually didn't even critique it. Yes. <laughs> is that, is that um, growth on his part? Yes, or Yes, yeah, that was big time <laughs> growth. Maybe because that was the last one I'd done, you know. Um, so, this is the number two. This is the helper, the giver. Um, if you'll notice, in every single painting, there is a color called Payne's Gray. It's sort of a midnight blue, and uh, and it's kind of the thread that runs through every single painting. Okay. Um, the Giver, the Helper, to me, is a bright, happy, you know, person that's there to help and to give. And I definitely wanted some yellow in there to brighten it up. That was probably the last color I put on there. So it's got aqua, kind of an orchid, purple some lime green um it's probably aqua's the main color in it but i want it to give a feeling of you know helpfulness and it's probably one of the paintings that people like the most it is beautiful yeah they love the giver Um, we'll come back and do the wings this is the achiever Um, i've sold several of these and the title of it's called appearances Um, It's bright, it's beautiful, it's got turquoise, teal, hot pink, orange. I think it's a showstopper. I think a three is a showstopper. Um, So I think it reflects someone who's super hardworking, they like to achieve, but they want it to look good. And I think that looks good.
0: I like the orange that pops up. Yeah, it really pops, doesn't it? Yeah, a lot more vibrant. Well,
1: blue and orange are complementary colors, so if you kind of get that teal and that orange go, and it really does pop. All right, this is the number four. This is the individualist. I like to call it the romantic. And my uh, youngest daughter is a number four, so I'm definitely thinking about her as I'm painting this. I think this painting has so much to say. It's got a lot of depth. It's got that magenta, hot pink. It's got that yellow, ochre, gold that kind of pops next to the purpley colors. Uh, But there's just a lot of depth and a lot going on there that on a four, you got to drag that out of them. You know, it's not something that they're going to freely um, share with you. And that's how I feel about this painting. I also feel like it's very unique. I feel like fours are unique. My daughter's very unique. She's very creative. She doesn't want to be like everybody else. But there's a happy side and a dark side, and I think you see that in the painting. So this is a five investigator, thinker. Um, I don't really have a five in my family, but my sister-in-law is definitely a five. She is a writer. She writes books. We've been friends for, oh, I guess over 40 years. Um, I knew her before I knew my husband. And at first glance, I thought she was an extrovert because she was a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun together. But soon I learned after years of having a relationship with her that it's it's really a commitment to her to hang out with you, spend time with you, go get ice cream with you. She doesn't do that with everybody. Yeah. And um, it's a sacrifice. So the thinker, and she's an example of this, she researches and learns and finds out everything she can about something. And she definitely has a creative side. And that's where that the colors in this, to me, it's got the depth of the purple, it's got the gold, and then it's got that pop of orange right in the middle. And to me, it... It's an investigative person, someone who does a lot of research. But if they ask you out for a cup of coffee, that's quite an honor.
0: Awesome. My sister Joey, she does some enneagram teaching, and uh-huh. she calls the like an extroverted five a unicorn.
1: Oh wow! Just
0: because she doesn't see it very often, and there's not out there. But I like that description of that you thought she was extroverted, but it just turns right. out that she invested in you. She Not. she
1: has a hierarchy of friendships. If you're in the top two or three, you'll get time with her. If you're in the bottom, you get nothing, <laughs> you know? So this is the loyalist. And um, my oldest daughter, she's, she's definitely a six. She's the one that introduced me to the whole Enneagram concept. And she is someone who... Um, She was a very easy child to raise, very kind, very compliant. Um, She ended up going to seminary to become a marriage and family therapist, and all of a sudden she set very strong boundaries. That shocked me a little bit. (laughs) But the loyalist um, has a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress, but they try to plan it away. And that's what my daughter does. She's so organized, and she just had her first child, and she's just the best mother, and she has it all really planned out, and the child is super happy, super secure, because she's got this incredible framework that she's, you know, working from. And But there's still this overriding frenzy of anxiety that, you know, is simmering in there somewhere but it's beautiful and it has a lot of positive things going on in there
0: all right so how old is her her child now
1: he just turned one in october and he is the cutest most adorable thing in the whole wide world
0: (laughs) they babies are the best we've got ours uh, our youngest one is She'll turn three in August.
1: Oh, I love three. Three is so fun. Oh, my gosh.
0: Every day <laughs> is just a new, you know, the world's her oyster, and she's jacked. But we, we laugh because my wife and I, and I don't know if y'all y'all did this at all, baby comes out, we're watching it every day. What uh, what personality do, do we think we have here? And at first she was just so calm. She was much calmer than our other kids were. We we're like, okay, maybe we're going to get. That has totally changed over the last two years. Now she's... She's three? She's about to be three, and she's easily the most aggressive and outgoing of of the four kids. It's crazy.
1: Well, you think birth order has a little to do with it, that she's the youngest?
0: I don't know. Uh, Suzanne says no. So she says, like, first of all, twins means nothing. There have been twins that are the same number, and the majority, the vast majority, not they're different, and, yeah. Yeah. And like the oldest isn't always an eight and right. so on and so on. Whatever the kind of st- archetypes or stereotypes right, are, it's right. not always true.
1: So right. I, I agree with that. I do. All right. This is us. This is a, here we are. The enthusiast. Is this is the seven, the enthusiast, the adventurer. I loved painting this. I put all my favorite colors in there. Um, it's got pink. Hot pink, lime green, turquoise, ultramarine blue, pop of gold, um, and I love just—it's free flowing. It's very um, spontaneous. It's the word I'm looking for. Optimistic and spontaneous.
0: I think it says something when I'm looking at it and I see myself in it. <laughs> oh,
1: good, good. I love that. Yeah, it's—I would say it's one of my favorites. It's not. At first, I thought it was my favorite, but I'm sort of thinking the fours become my favorite, but I love the seven for sure. All right, so this is number eight, The Challenger, and my goal in painting this was to make it very intense. And my oldest son, who's third, I have girl, girl, boy, boy, so he's my oldest boy, and I was just really trying to capture his intensity as I painted this. And so, of course, I went with a really intense red at the top, and then my signature paints gray at the bottom with some turquoise and some white. But I feel like this is almost just like an explosion happening at the bottom, and the top is just this the intensity that you see when you first meet an eight. But there's a lot going on in an eight. There is a lot of moodiness, but there's also a lot of fun and humor. And my son is one of the funniest people you'll ever be around. He really is so, so funny. And so, you know, there's just a lot of energy in it, and I wanted it to reflect that energy. The thing I learned as I started learning about Enneagrams that's helped me probably the most in my journey is learning about an eight. I learned that even though they come across secure and intense and in control, underneath, they're very sensitive. And there's an insecurity there in relation to other people. And when I learned that about my son, I think it really helped my relationship with him. Yeah. And um, I learned just to not say anything sometimes and let it just kind of happen how it's going to happen. But anyway, so that's the challenger.
0: Oh, Suzanne, uh, so my oldest sister, she's an eight, Joey, that I referenced uh-huh. earlier. And uh, she talked with my mom once about uh, eights, there being from other people, them being judged before people even know. Oh,
1: them. absolutely. And I feel
0: like that's, that is that top level that we're talking about, where people just see that and then they don't ever go further and see the other right. half of it.
1: So. so one funny thing I will say. So I hung this. And my husband, who's a one, he goes, oh, no, you got white paint on there. And I'm like, yeah, that's supposed to be there. (laughs) He just thought that didn't quite.
0: I saw it, but I didn't want (laughs) to,
1: (laughs) yeah. Yeah, so I like the white paint. The white, you know, it's it's there on purpose. Mm -hmm. But it's just kind of falling off the edge. All right, here's the nine. So my youngest son is a nine, a peacemaker. Um, When I look at this, I think of just a very calm uh, person who gets along with everybody. And my youngest son gets along with every sibling. And I can see how he, he doesn't like conflict. He doesn't like for people to um, have conflict. He likes to kind of keep things uh, peaceful. But the flip side of that is that they're very passive aggressive. He's passive aggressive. He will say yes to you 99% of the time, but then he will walk out the door and do exactly what he had planned on doing is going to do. They're, they will not change their mind, typically. Um, he is pretty staunch on his beliefs and what he wants to do, but he's pretty peaceful. But he's so much fun, love hanging out with him. Um, he's Pretty thoughtful when he remembers to be, you know? <laughs> so, so that's the basic nine. And then I threw in wings because wings intrigued me um, because most people aren't just one thing. They have a little bit, you know, of a wing going on. Some, some people's wings are stronger than others. Um, I think the nine one wing, it's called the dreamer. I, I think that's a great combo you've got the calmness of the peacemaker, and you've got the organization of the one, which I think that's great. Yeah. Um, so if you go to the eight side, that puts a little more energy and intensity into the nine because a nine can be pretty low-key, lazy, not want to move, want to stay in the same place. Um, and I think the eight, that's a good combo too. It, it throws in a little energy there.
0: All right. Before we go to the next eight okay. n- eight numbers, I love the visual concept of the wings with the with the the main picture. So Suzanne talks about uh, her understanding of the anagram is we have one wing, whether bigger big or small, or for the first half of our life, and then we begin to add the second wing oh, to get some balance sense. in say yeah. half. And so when you've got the way, and people will see it in the pictures. But the core number here in the middle, and then the, what, so you said the 36 by 36 is the main one, and the others right. are 12 the by others 36. the are
1: 12 by 36, so they just flank either side, they're the same. And um, when you kind of
0: see that next to each other. Yeah, and then that was
1: the visual I, tri- I wanted yeah. to see, it's like a triad. Mm-hmm. It's got the big one, and then the two small ones, because to me, the influence is bigger on the core than it is on the wing.
0: And it's not a, um, just so, again, people will see this. It's a different painting in itself that's added to it. It just looks really, like I said, in my, the imagery of it in my head is just really beautiful.
1: Well, and the goal of this was to have it flow. The whole Mm. thing needs to be one visual picture of the total. Yeah. And the curator that hung the, paintings for me, I had never seen these side by side. I'd never seen them all oh, in a really? row. Okay. And so it was a thrill and very exciting when it all went up. And of course, he is so good at hanging it, lighting it, and there were two paintings, two of the wings that didn't quite fit. And he just said to me, he goes, "I don't know about these two. I don't know if they reflect what we want them to reflect. I don't know if they flow." I said, "No problem." But this was one that I it it needed that paints gray and that little darkness to flow through. So that one I repainted and there was one down there that I repainted. Okay. But it all has to flow together, I think. The eight was really hard for me to paint the wings too because I had on a seven and I want the seven and the eight to flow through. And I had to kind of figure that out. So that's why I threw that magenta on top of the red. I thought yeah. that brightened it up, made it a little more energetic and happy.
0: I like the name, the Maverick. Yeah.
1: I like that, too. Yeah, so the 8-9 the is the bear, and the 8-7 is the Maverick. And then, of course, the 7, the wings on the 7. What wing do you think you are?
0: All right, so this was a journey for me in self-discovery. I always thought that I had a pretty sizable eight-wing. I mean, a noticeable eight-wing. Mm-hmm. And then the more introspective work that I did, the more I began to learn and better understand the Enneagram, I realized that I had a counterphobic six-wing.
1: Ooh, tell me about that, because right. that might be me. Okay, so that's
0: <laughs> like a, in just core number, counterphobic six and eights, can look a lot alike from the outside, a good, completely different motivations internally, but outside looking in, I've, I've told people the a few counterphobic six women that I know who are just the greatest women in the world. They scare me more than anyone, more than any eight or <laughs> they. I would not mess with them or their people. The aggressive nature of an eight, well, that counterphobic six, the. Fight or flight, they choose fight, not flight. And so that's where I was misconstruing that. But they're both part of the fear triad. Yes. Five, six, and seven. And I look back on my whole life of decision-making and coming from a seven, fear-based, and then doubling down with doing things immediately to combat the fear. Like, I just knew, okay, if I just do it. You need to just do it, just do it, just do it, just do it. it. And then, and I think that's that counterphobic six wing both. And I use that in awful decision-making and in really good decision-making. Um, so, you know, like everything else, it's the Enneagram, two sides of the coin and that's the two sides of that coin for me are that big counterphobic six wing.
1: So I've always thought I was a seven, eight, because of my energy and my optimism Mm -hmm. and i thought i can't go six because they have so much anxiety i don't have anxiety because i don't recognize the anxiety it's like an oxymoron a seven six there's no seven six i'm telling
0: you that's what when i first started learning i looked at and you know after a few know your number workshops and i looked at my mom and i was like i don't understand there's not a seven with a six wing in the world that doesn't make any sense whatsoever But then, now it does. (laughs) I don't know about seven with a phobic six-wing. I don't know. Hopefully, people will listen to this, and we'll get feedback of people that are like, I am a seven-six-wing, and here's how that plays out. But for me, it's definitely, and that was my big question when I talked with her. You know, one day, I was like, is it, so regarding wings, if you have a six-wing, can it be phobic or counterphobic like the core number? And she said yes. And so that was a big eye-opener for me. So someone who out there, if you have a, a seven with a phobic six wing, love to hear that because I don't. Yeah, I, I don't think know it's
1: so, right. so interesting.
0: And the other big one was uh, kind of that gut intuition. That's not a thing for me. Uh, so that's another reason why I didn't think I have an, an eight wing because, oh, man, I've got no intuition and no gut so feelings.
1: So do you, do you deal with relationships where when you meet people or people in your circle they brought into your circle do you ever just feel like you get a vibe from somebody and you're thinking I'm not sure about that I'm not sure that that's that's really legit
0: not like you're saying mine is more of a heady like one I'm a huge introvert so meeting new people in general is not for me. How can you be an me.
1: introvert and be a seven? Yeah,
0: it's, it's awesome is what it is. I like to say, I so like to, are
1: you high energy?
0: For myself and for, like, it's kind of like you were talking about earlier with the five. For my people, I've got energy. So I've got nieces and nephews, family members, uh, a short list of friends. I've got energy for them. And then people that I, that are not on that list, I don't have energy for. And then just kind of, and this is, I think that uh, independent nature of a seven. I just don't give them that energy.
1: So that would put you definitely more on the six side than the eight side.
0: I like to think a seven an introverted seven. Somebody asked me about it the other day and I was like, listen, I I like to party, but I can, I like to party by myself. Like I don't need other people to have the party.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I get that. (laughs) I get that. So pandemic for you, has that been positive or negative?
0: well as a true seven you know we're gonna we're gonna see this half full uh but being honest and bringing up some feelings it's been both it's been hard because we've got kids that are doing virtual school and that is a total beating uh and it's hard for them so just so i don't sound completely uh, wrapped up with my own stuff it's hard for them and it's hard for me i get to travel all the time for work pre-pandemic that's gone love travel Watch
1: Definitely a seven loves travel. Yeah,
0: love travel, love hotels, yeah. love new cities, <laughs> all of that, to go back to that uh, introverted seven. So when we go somewhere, after the workshop, and if there's somebody else traveling with us, if it's not just me and the speaker uh, and everyone's staying care of, then I go out to, you know, when we were in uh, Minneapolis last year, or 2019, uh, I went and caught a Twins game. And when we're in Portland, a Trailblazers game, and I do research on cigar bars, and I always go by myself and have absolutely the best time. So
1: so that's adventure. It doesn't have to be adventure in a crowd.
0: Correct. Correct. In a bar full of people, I'm there by myself, and I feel by myself, and I'm happy.
1: And that's how I feel in my studio. I go in, I get my XM radio going, I got my refrigerator I've got my snacks I lock the door and I paint I dance I do whatever I want
0: how much do you? and that's happy right how much do you think that has to do with uh our line with fives because kind of that space it's your space and it's calm and you know and you prepared for it like you just said you had all your things I love the story that uh my mom tells of someone that she knew they wanted to write a book and they were a five and they kept doing all the things to get ready to write the, the book and never wrote the book, <laughs> like kept getting a new journal because they kept finding a new journal, a new chair. They redid their office so that, the, you know, and just kept going, kept going. And another one uh, I think is her oldest friend, Carolyn, that she was doing a garden thing and she weeded out the garden and plowed it all and did everything to get it ready. Then kept doing other things to get it ready. And everything grew back up, and she had to restart all over again because she never got to the doing. So that was going to be one of my questions for you around being a 7 and an artist. What? And I know we're kind of in the middle of this, but that's fine. What are some of the benefits of being an Enneagram 7 and an artist, and then what are some things about your personality that make your profession hard?
1: I think being a 7 and being an artist is... The best. I think the optimism, the energy, it keeps me moving, and I have been so productive the last two years um, because I had a goal. I like to paint in a series. I like to have a voice. I like to have my art mean something and go somewhere. And I love the energy of the enneagram. I love how it all looks put together, and. My training is printmaking, and printmakers make lots of prints and use lots of bright color ink. And so I think this show reflects my background in printmaking. And I mean, I feel like I've been kicking butt the last year. I feel like I have painted 30 hours a week. I get myself to my studio. I've got plenty of paint, plenty of canvas. I might paint two or three paintings in a day, uh, I might stay there till eight o'clock at night. Um, so I love having my own space and being able to go when I want to go, stay as long as I want to stay. And I love having something to show for it.
0: I resonate with everything you just said, starting with at the beginning where you're like a goal and an objective. Everything I do has to have like a goal and an objective. I don't like reading, um, fiction. Because I'm like, what, what am I getting from this? Besides, you know, reading is great for your mind and all that. But I would rather get some information, like some history, some knowledge, learn something new. Right. Are you the same way?
1: I love it. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. And I'm, I'm, I'm pretty high energy in that I'm moving a lot. But yesterday I stayed in my pajamas and watched every playoff NFL game that came on the TV.
0: That's all. Awesome. I, uh, I finished watching Game of Thrones for the second time. <laughs> So I know that movies don't, shows don't count the same as for fiction and nonfiction, yeah, yeah. but and then playoffs and kids.
1: So. Right. But um, yeah, I see what you're saying about having your space, and it's okay to be alone. And I definitely feel that way. Yeah. But I got to have a little adventure on top of that. I got to have good snacks. and oh, yeah. I got to have good music.
0: It's it's a full experience. Everything's got to be a full experience. Yes, you know, not yes. just oh this is. Okay, I'm working on this one project. Well, what's everything around the project that yes. I've got set up? Yeah.
1: <laughs> I totally agree. Now, when you talk about the prep of a five, I feel like I prep, but I don't prep that much because my mind is going so fast that I've got to get in there and lay it all on the canvas. So, I'm not interested in a lot of prep, but I do think a lot of this was experimental. hmm
0: all right, we're on to the loyalist now.
1: Okay, so the wings of the loyalist, the six-seven, the six-five, I think is kind of interesting. Um, I think the seven bringing in that optimism to the six is a really good thing, and I feel like I don't really understand probably the six-five-five-six as well. So maybe you that, can enlighten me.
0: Oh, I, I will. We will use that on the next uh, Q and A with okay. Suzanne. <laughs> but I do like the names of both of them. So the six is the loyalist, and then the names for the two wings you have are the buddy and defender. The defender. And I think I think that's a great combination. And as I think the sixes, you know, when Suzanne talks about. Um, you know they care the most for the common good and the community. Yes, I think those two things combined, when a six has balance like that of, and in healthy space, defender and buddy and loyal. I mean, what a yeah, I what do a like combination. That.
1: Okay, question. I've heard, read, don't know where that fifty percent of the population might be sixes.
0: That's what. That's uh, the school of thought that Suzanne comes from. Okay, is that, and I think. I think the bigger way to look at that is, and I think people will lose sight of this, in the world.
1: Okay. You know, in
0: Dallas, I don't think 50% of the population is probably
1: sixes. <laughs> okay. She, she
0: calls Dallas a three city. Three. So, and we're a three city <laughs> in a three country. Okay. So, um, okay. for me, it just makes sense, I think, for 50% of the population to be sixes because of um, Darwinism. I mean... Like those people are going to survive and flourish and move on, and you know, if there's any sort of genetic component to the enneagram, which who knows, you know, those are people will be will ask that question a lot. You know, is it uh, inherited or environment? And I don't know the answer. And and does it matter? That's if Suzanne were here, you know, I couldn't say that, but she's not here, so I get. I don't
1: think a seven's going to ponder that.
0: Yeah, it doesn't matter.
1: So the 5-6 would be a problem solver. The 5-4 would be iconoclast. I don't even know if I know what an iconoclast is. I don't know what that is, is either. I was,
0: I was <laughs> about to be my question for you.
1: But so practical, I think 5s are practical. I think they um, are not driven by their emotions as much. Do you agree?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's what so, I love because they're, um, the way that she teaches about it, that fives have, that feeling is secondary to thinking for fives, but their feelings are about their thoughts.
1: Okay. So if you add the six, would that add more emotion than adding the four? Would the four add more emotion?
0: I think the four would add more emotion. Okay. So I think the six, you're doubling down on that thinking triad. Okay. Five and six. So thinking and thinking and reinforced with thinking. And that five with the four wing, I believe, this is another thing that I I might get wrong. And I think another thing that I don't think is very important like the actual physical image of the Enneagram. I think some people think that the space between five and four is the greatest space. And like the others are, I don't know, pretty equivalent, I guess. I would think they would all be. You know, it's a circle. You can space them out equally.
1: Okay. That's an interesting thought. And
0: Suzanne talks about it's so interesting and dynamic because when you combine head and heart with five and four, just how unique and wonderful and incredible that is to have all that heart and all that feeling and emotion and then to have all that head. And so it's just a... We've talked about uh, Thomas Merton.
1: Okay. So... This was another one that I took home and brought back. Added it needed it needed that turquoise little bit of intensity. Um, the curator spotted he's like doesn't flow. So I changed it. Now I think it does flow. Yeah.
0: We um, did a conversation recently did a conversation. Had a conversation recently with Sean Palmer and he wrote uh the book 40 days on being anagram 3 and he wrote uh 41 days and turned that in and one day it was like all right this is not a part of the 40 so now and the whole time I was like I need to I want to know what that 41st entry was and now that's how I feel about the the two wings that didn't didn't make the didn't make, didn't make it, the yeah. floor here they
1: they had to they had to be changed so the bohemian and the ris- aristocrat couldn't be more different, could they? And you put the individualist romantic in the middle of those two. I think that's interesting. Yeah. Don't you?
0: Oh, yeah. You're right. I think you said, didn't you say that four maybe was one of your favorite? Yeah. The, yeah I, love four. I agree. I also like this three one, though.
1: I like three, too. So I've actually uh, sold several threes three seem to be one that people like again
0: we're, you're in the right place to do it you're in dallas i'm in Let's, dallas <laughs> hey i'm gonna
1: change the name from achiever to dallas side how about that <laughs> um no i love the colors in it and i think these two wings are my favorite visually i like the way those turned out the
0: three the three, and the the three two and the two yeah, three they're okay. probably
1: my favorite visual i love how they turned out
0: And you're 100% right about the flow going well between those, in my opinion.
1: I think that Payne's Gray is one of the ingredients that helps it flow. Obviously, I love aqua, too. There's a lot of aqua in here. And I love, love, love bright colors. I use a certain palette. Some are dark, some are light, some are brighter. But it's still the basic same palette. Mm -hmm. Okay, so your mom's a two. Mm -hmm. What do you think?
0: I get it. Here's, so with it, when I first saw it, kind of like with the seven, I was like, I see like a shape of a human there going and doing. And when I saw Giver, I kind of feel like it's got a giving tree type vibe where there's the, uh, floral at the top and you're right with the colors. First of all, she, um, her parents, her mom was so big into turquoise. So then that gives me a little bit of. Goosebumps and good feelings because then my mom then has a lot of turquoise stuff and that's a big deal. So then oh, these colors, just on a I personal level, yeah. are, are great.
1: Well, to me, it goes from bright, happy, blah blah blah, and then the bottom gets a little more serious. And to me, the giver, helper, if they give and they help and they keep going, and you are unappreciative. You don't acknowledge what they're doing, and you don't appreciate it all.
0: It stops. It gets dark. <laughs> yeah. It gets
1: real dark down here. <laughs> yeah.
0: I like that. And and very true. <laughs> and they also, another, just, I don't know. I love that. Another thing, too, is how it kind of, if the main body of it, kind of runs out and when they give and give and give and don't take care of themselves then they run out it gets dark yeah
1: it gets dark
0: all right and then
1: so here here are our spouse yeah you put that perfectionist with the giver and i find that really interesting too the one two the two one it's like they're pretty focused and they're pretty helpful, but I think an unhealthy one, two, two, one are, they're going to help you whether you like it or not. You know? <laughs> yeah. And they're not going to really listen to what your need is because they feel like they know what your need is. Yeah. So that can be a little crazy, but okay. So this is interesting. I'm a seven married to a one. You're a seven married to a one. Mm-hmm. So what are your thoughts on? the combo of a perfectionist with an enthusiast.
0: I'm telling you, I think it happens more often than, uh, than either people think or more often than a lot of other combinations. And the reason being that they both can help the other one in the areas that they struggle in or don't come Quite as naturally maybe that's a better way to, to put it that like is balance yes so on both the high and the low side when i go to one space high or low Wendy can recognize it and understand it because it's the water she swims in and so she gets it and there's just next to no judgment there because she knows what's going on same the other way around when she goes to high or low seven space Uh, when it's in high good space, it's awesome. And I recognize it and just really uh, enjoy the ride. And when it's on the lower side, I recognize it and don't judge it because I know that I'm there a lot and and I get it. And everything in between. um, I just think there's a lot of understanding and compassion there that and because they're so, so different. You know, this painting versus the seven painting you know, you didn't block out nine perfect squares with the seven fanning, and they're just so different that it's easy to see when the moves are being made. Whereas for other numbers, potentially, it's a lot, a lot more blurry.
1: Do you feel like your wife is uh, pessimistic
0: in comparison to me? Yes, uh, I feel like I have helped her to be more optimistic. And she's helped me to be more of a realist. When I was younger. (laughs) Just everything's going to work out. Like at my most immature, I would just, I had this thing. I was like, it's the Joel bubble. Things work out. Things are going to be fine.
1: Shoot from the head. Yeah.
0: Don't worry. Whatever happens, it's going to happen. We'll be okay. I'll be okay. It will all be okay. And I would just go about life. And hardly ever did it end up Okay. I never reflected on that. We don't want that. to
1: be boxed in. We don't want to commit yeah. to a certain road if the other road looks better.
0: And that's okay. So there's a perfect example of the balance is being boxed in and committing to things. Let's just say being committed to things. I have done a better job at that because of my relationship with Whitney. And she tries really hard and is doing a better job at being a little bit more um,
1: Flexible. Flexible
0: and loose and go with the flow.
1: Well, one of the things I love about the one is that they always do the right thing. It doesn't always turn out the right way, but their heart going into any situation to me is that they want to do the right thing. You can count on them. Oh, yeah. And um, if they say they're going to be somewhere, they're going to be there. And they do
0: it. Yeah.
1: And they... Uh, follow through with their commitments. And I think that the combo of the seven and the one, I agree with you on the optimism and the pessimism. Um, one factor, my husband is an ER doctor. So worst case scenario is his life, you know, and he has to be that way. He has to think about what's going to go wrong and, you know, be prepared for the yeah. worst thing to happen he can't be like a seven and go oh this is gonna work out right. you know you don't want that kind of doctor um, but it is frustrating sometimes in parenting when you're a super optimist about a situation with your child and they're like wait a minute this has got to change this has got to happen and you're like oh no it's okay it's okay yeah. so I think the parenting thing Definitely a one and a seven balance each other out.
0: Did your husband, over the years, so y- y'all's children are in their tw- 20s, 20s and 30s.
1: 30s? yeah. Our oldest is 31, yeah.
0: Did he beat himself up as far as parenting goes?
1: Oh, he was the best, best parent in terms of reading the books and really putting his whole heart into it. Um, and we have four... Kids who really think for themselves. It's like, I want them to be people who, you know, understood themselves and thought for themselves, but now I feel like it has bite it you in the fruition. butt sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, why can't you just do it the way I want you to do it? Um, and so I feel like our kids are really strong and they've each chosen a path. And I feel like as adults, I'm really proud of the people that they've become. And I feel like the basis for that was just, I think, you know, strong, secure parenting, but yet letting your kid, you know, be who they're going to be. And Enneagram is great for that. And I wish I'd known about Enneagram. My kids were younger.
0: Right. That's what we, you know, when we talk about the difference in ones and sevens and that relationship, that's where we're, me and Whitney are just so different because... Like you said, a I man. she is committed to them and does everything that she thinks is right and can for them. And she is the best parent. I mean, there's not a better parent in the world. And yet she beats herself up and like second guesses herself and has all this doubt around her parenting. Whereas I am not the best parent in the world. I mean, she is, she's already got that title, but I try really hard and I'm good with it. I'm like, you know what, I'm, I try to be a great parent and my kids are healthy and i th- you know, I'm learning how to do it. And so I don't beat myself up. And I wish that I could, you know, we talk about recognizing the other people, all these other things. I wish she could, uh, some of that could rub off on her a little bit more.
1: The optimism. Yeah. And, just about, and relax about, yeah, yeah, relax about how good you are at something. Yeah. So my daughter is a six and she's married to a nine. So my son-in-law's a nine and he is a phenomenal dad he is so calm and so proficient at things and they've created this environment through the pandemic for my adorable grandson where i'm just really watching them um, be so strong as parents and they're not they don't parent the way we parented at all but you can just tell the outcome that this kid is so secure and so happy in this environment and uh, i think a nine is really good for a six i think that he really makes her feel secure Mm -hmm. and he's um always got a a plan but it's a good plan that you know works for them so i like that combo too yeah i think it's good okay let's talk about the triads I don't feel like I understand the triads as well as I do the core and the wings. Okay. I feel like I created the triads and I love visually how they turned out, but sometimes I don't know if I really understand what the triads really mean. I mean, I know there's the head, the heart, and the gut, mm-hmm. and I understand, you know, about the gut and the instinct. Um, let's talk about that one first. I find this so interesting. The gut is an eight, a nine, and a one. My oldest son's an eight, my youngest son's a nine, my husband's a one. So we got this one covered. Yeah. <laughs> um and I feel like um they do have good instincts, um, the three of them, and I do see that emotion anger play out in all three of them in a completely different way. Oh yeah. Um so, my eight son, when he's angry, you pretty much know about it. Mm-hmm. My nine son.
0: The passive aggressiveness they talk yeah, about.
1: Yeah, he. I mean, I've seen him mad, but he pretty much controls all that. Okay. The one, I feel like they don't get angry very often, but when they've had it, they've had it. And they can definitely let people know how mad they are, but it's so rare.
0: Well, that's what Suzanne says, exactly what you said for eight and nine, that eight, the anger is up front, in your face. Externalized. Handle it.
1: Nine's internalized. Is that that right?
0: Yeah, and that the one is with the passive aggressive for nines and that the one's anger shows up in uh, resentment and that a big thing that she teaches with ones and anger is that most of the time when they're angry, they're not even angry about what they're saying they're angry about. That it's displaced anger and it's the all the anger
1: accumulation of things. Yeah, and
0: that they have with their inner critic and everything turned in on themselves that then comes out towards everyone else. Got so, it. For eights, nines and ones and that triad that right underneath the surface is anger, even if other you know, with the other ones, the fear and anxiety for five, six, sevens and uh shame for twos, threes, and fours.
1: Will you explain to me the shame part of the heart triad with the two,
0: three, four. You have got the wrong person to explain this one for this reason. I don't sevens don't have any connection to that triad. (laughs) We don't have a wing. We don't have, we don't go there in stress. We don't go there in security. Yeah. So shame because of reframing. And these are all just my opinions here. Uh, Because of reframing, because of being future focused, shame is hard to come by in a seven, even when they, you know, healthy shame, like it's hard to come they by reframe it. Yeah. And just keep moving forward and keep moving forward and keep moving forward.
1: Well, these are the good things that came out of it, you know? Yeah.
0: And it, exactly. Like exactly. Oh, all, all the lessons they learned until, <laughs> and then here's the big teaching until a seven gets to something that can't be reframed, that they can't move past. And then that can look pretty awful and get pretty sad and tragic, uh, which is why it's so helpful to do do work and to acknowledge these things because it, it goes that way. All that to say, I don't fully understand shame. I That was a stupid co- uh, comment. I hardly understand shame just because it doesn't make sense. Shame, so much of shame is just not rational to me. So,
1: And we don't want... People to feel shame.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like it, we
1: didn't want our kids to be shamed. Right?
0: You don't. Want you, kid, know? you don't want the wife that I talked about a minute ago. Yes. Like, why would you feel bad? Like, here, here's all the logic around around this. So you shouldn't feel that way. But the thing that I'm just doing a lot of work on right now, and there's so much great content, thanks to people like Brene Brown and countless others, around shame, acknowledging the difference between thinking and logic. And feelings and emotion, and the fact that there's not a, um, there's no understanding to be had there. The only thing to be had is compassion. So when, uh, when Whitney and I, when she's bringing feelings and emotions and everything to a disagreement, conversation, argument, fight, whatever it is, I can't meet that with logic because I'm looking for right or wrong. And who am I wrong in this? Am I right? And feelings aren't wrong. And they're not right. They just are what they are. And so that's been the big thing for me is that the goal of all of all these differences between me as a thinker and people who are strong in these in emotions is not to get to like we talked about earlier in the conversation, how important goals are for sevens. Hey, here's the here's the goal of this project, and then get there. Well, there's not a finish line for it, and there's not a right or wrong it is just okay. This is how this other person sees the world. Again, that's the greatness of the Enneagram. This is how this other person sees the world. They're not wrong. I'm not wrong either. For I mean, you know, let's go ahead and tag that in there. <laughs> uh, but I'm also not right. And the goal can't be who's in the right and who's in the wrong. The goal just needs to be compassion and how can we move forward now with love and. You know get back to to that for me to happiness and so so i don't understand it don't think i ever really will and i'm starting to be okay with that
1: i like that so we go to the 567 maybe maybe if, the, maybe if i get the
0: maybe i get the shame print and just have that, you know, put one in the car, put one other. Maybe all start growing along with it and getting some more understanding.
1: It'll open the door. Yeah. Um. So the dominant emotion of five, six, seven is fear and anxiety. So tell me how you think five, six, and seven respond in the head.
0: All the fear and all the anxiety, they just start immediately with their head. So with fives, it's with the planning. You know, I've got, if I make a plan, if I gather the information, then that will solve the fear. I don't need to be afraid if I do that. Uh, Sixes, Suzanne says that it's worst case scenario thinking and then planning around all of them, not just one. So I've got, just so you know, uh, we're standing here at the Eisman Center and we're next to a um, ledging balcony. If there were kids here. I would be standing over here next to the wall. I have this crazy fear of kids going over ledges. No reason to have it. I've had it ever since, so for 12 years, and crazy, irrational fear. So I plan for that. I walk we whenever I can. I get a first floor uh, hotel room when we've got the kids. All these things so that I don't have to deal with that. And when we do, then it's on the far side, get a room close to the elevator, close Did to the you watch stairwell. a lot
1: of Alfred Hitchcock movies as a kid? No,
0: no, I didn't.
1: <laughs> Did you see it's, Vertigo too many times? I,
0: I didn't. It's just craziness, but that, and it is crazy to me, but that's how sixes do everything. It's, I love the story of, um, my folks friend, my dad's driving and they were behind a cement truck, just driving on the road. And when he changed the lane, she was like, Oh, thank God. According to her, those, dump on people all the all the time no they don't you know (laughs) so that's how they solve it was with all the planning around that uh and then sevens with reframing straight with thinking and problem solving and rationality i think that man maybe more so this might be my own ego but do you think sevens are like the most logical of all the enneagram numbers
1: I do, logical
0: thinking not I, not based on their uh, yeah, behavior
1: I do feel like that they want to keep moving forward I think they want they don't want to live in the past they yeah. want to keep moving forward they um, are energized by future plans they're energized by getting where they want to go mm-hmm. um, how do you think sevens drive on the road compared to some of the other Indian (laughs) driving because for me, when I'm going to go somewhere, I know exactly where I'm going to end up. I'll Google it, but I also want to be the most efficient in driving there. You know, I don't want to piddle around.
0: I'm the, I'm the same way with that. I'm a, (laughs) when we get in the car, the next stop is our location, our destination. Like we're not stuck. Don't drink a big golf. Yeah. Oh my, we, um, (laughs) I went to school in Conway, Arkansas for a few years, and on one tank of gas, if I filled up before I got on the highway, I got there all the way to the campus and didn't have to stop. And so then when I uh, started making friends, got, got a girlfriend, and they, I was like, no, 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 we're not stopping. We can go on one without stopping. One tank. It's perfect. Uh, so that was a big, big deal. And now with kids and wife, we went uh, our first vacation in the car. That we drove to Colorado, which by the way, I got to get your son's information. Boulder is our home away from home. Oh, My wow. wife has the flat irons tattooed on her, on her shoulder. Uh, we love Boulder. You know, we didn't make it to Denton without having stopped twice. You know, first get through up, then whatever else the other <laughs> thing was. I think we, we forgot something that we had to double back for. That, that is a, a real growing edge for me And. Just having Yeah, to be okay I think with a that. seven
1: is pretty serious about their driving. Yeah,
0: yeah. We, let's get there. I don't want to stop at a hotel. I don't want to stop at a hotel if we can make it in just one drive.
1: <sighs> so this summer, I wanted to see my grandson because of the pandemic. I had to drive, so I got my COVID test, but it never came back the results. So I just got in my car, drove to Nashville. My brother-in-law lives on a farm there, so he got me a COVID test in Tennessee. Nice. And I just hung out at the farm, which was great. But I did a three-week, three-thousand-mile road trip by myself, and I loved it. Right? It was awesome.
0: I'm jealous hearing about it. <laughs> <laughs> and Nashville holds a special place in my heart. That was the last place that we traveled to before the pandemic. So we were in we were in Nashville, literally the night before that uh, tornado. Oh God! About a year ago now. Mm. All right, so what does being a seven mean to you? We, off the mic, just talked about, you know, how tests are ridiculous and how it's a journey and it's introspective. So both on the um, healthy side and the less healthy, what okay. does being an anagram Seven look like for you and mean?
1: Um, I feel like we bring a lot of energy, creativity, and fun to the table. And kind of, a, <laughs> I'll give you a funny little example. So I'm in a women's Bible study, and they asked me to be the coordinator for it. And it's pretty large, tenor women. And so I did that for two years, and then you kind of ease your way out. But they have like a, a board that they keep leadership on where we discuss things. So they wanted me to stay on the board, and so this was the title they gave me. Vision casting liaison. <laughs> now, is is that code for we don't know what to do with yeah. her?
0: The entertainment czar, <laughs> yeah. basically.
1: So they liked me in the meetings to give creative ideas and energy, but they just didn't know what to do with me, yeah. you know. So I feel like a seven <laughs> contributes a lot to a group to provide you know, optimism and energy and give ideas. So I feel like that's definitely a strength um, that a seven has and can go into a situation and see the good parts of it. Um, Some people, that drives them crazy. Um, They don't want to see the good part. (laughs) They want to just be left alone, but... I feel like a seven contributes to uh, making things more exciting and more fun.
0: What advice do you have for younger artists in general and younger artists that are Enneagram sevens?
1: My advice, if you are really serious about an art career and you want to pursue um, being an artist, being a painter, a printmaker, you need to find space you need to find your own studio where you can go and you can work and uh, create i feel like that was a game changer for me when i got my own studio which was about five and a half years ago it just opened up so many doors to me in terms of my own progress and helped me to reach my potential And helped me to be a little bit more experimental in my approach. The other thing I did that I think helped me a lot was taking classes from other artists and seeing what other people are doing. And getting training. Um, And with the pandemic, it's easier than it's ever been. You can do a lot of that stuff online. I actually took a class in Birmingham. I took a class in Winston-Salem. And both of those were really profitable for me. Um, I feel like relationships with other artists are really important. Uh, Before the pandemic hit, I had a dinner party at my house with 14 different artists. Most of them were my age. They were all women. And we had dinner together. And we just talked about what we were doing and talked about our art, shared Instagram. You know, we followed each other. Um, the other thing that we discussed that night was what was, what influence did our spirituality have on our art? And I think people really wanted to talk about that. So, um, yeah, so that would be my advice.
0: Awesome. Well, this was an awesome afternoon. Thank you so much. Thank I mean that thank you so much.
1: Oh my pleasure. I felt like we were just two friends getting together really? and um, I really enjoyed oh, our interaction. It was fun.